good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn tonight once more in the Word of God to the book of Nehemiah and the fifth chapter. And there was a great cry of the people and their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, We are sons and our daughters are many. And therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. And some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters already are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Uh, then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, uh, Ye exact usury, and every one of his brother. And I set a great assembly against them. And I said unto them, We after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace, and found nothing to answer. Also I said, It is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God, because of the reproach of the heathen our enemies? I likewise, and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. I restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the corn and the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. Then said they, We will restore them, and will require nothing of them, so will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Also I shook my lap and said, And so God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise, even thus be he shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. And moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year even unto the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes the king, and that is twelve years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governors that have been before me were chargeable unto the people, and have taken off them bread and wine, beside forty shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people, but so did not I because of the fear of God." Also I continued in the work of this wall, uh, neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. Moreover, there were at my table an hundred and fifty of the Jews and rulers, and beside those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also files were prepared for me, and once in ten days stored of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor, because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done. 
for this people. Uh, the work of God, both in the Old and the New Testament, has seemed to be constantly under threat. And it is also the case for the work of God in our day and generation. The devil will do all in his power to hinder and delay the work of God. In the last chapter, Nehemiah 4, we, we looked at how Nehemiah faced the opposition that was from without the neighboring lands and the neighboring nations. They, uh, they were fearful of what the prosperity of Jerusalem would mean for them. And in hatred, they sought to hinder the work of God. In this chapter, the assault is not from without, but the danger, the threat to the work is from within the company of those who are building. Now, those who bring the complaint, and again, you have a complaint here in verse number one, and there was a great cry of the people. Uh, those who bring the complaint are not guilty of sin themselves. Others are guilty of sin. But the work is difficult and the work is slowed due to the troubles that they faced. Trials, trials in the work of God can be very damaging to the progress of God's work. This chapter will not signal the end of the troubles for Nehemiah. But when you get to the end of chapter 5, you, you do see that the trials, having been handled wisely, have not actually hindered the work. The potential's there for great trouble. The potential's there for division, disruption, and for the work ceasing altogether. But with wise government and good leadership, uh, in the spirit of prayer, we will see that the work here is not hindered, but rather the work is progressing. And Nehemiah, as a, as a book, does again continually bring us to think about the importance of a prayerful consideration of the work of God. Prayer is, is throughout the book. And yet the prayers of Nehemiah, they're accompanied by much wisdom in the leadership that he exerts in the work of God. You see, when God's people respond in a biblical fashion to troubles that arise, the result under God can be the strengthening of the work and not the hindrance of it. Trials come within and without. And the issue is, how do we deal with them? And the encouragement is, if we deal with them biblically, in the attitude of prayer, we can see the work strengthened and not brought to hindrance and eventually to naught. And so when we look at Nehemiah 5, I want, to really, I want to reflect upon Nehemiah's conduct here really in three separate ways. I want to see him initially acting as a governor. You, you have that reference in verse 14 and 15 that, that he was the governor. He had this authority position in the work of God. And as a governor, he models wise leadership. And we see in his action here, we see a model of, of what wisdom is like in, in, in a sphere of leadership. In him, we see lessons regarding godly leadership and how to handle people in various spheres of life. We might think of this in, in all manner of spheres of authority, and there's application, I believe, in all of those spheres. It may be the, the husband-wife relationship. It may be the parent-child relationship. It may be the elder-church relationship. There's all these various spheres of authority and submission in the, in the governance of God's kingdom. And so we see here, what's a godly leader look like? How do they handle a situation such as this? Well, first of all, in his leadership, we find that he has an attentive ear. Verse 1 to 5, we, we have the complaint 
being brought to him from various sources. Again, you will see some said this, some said that, some said the other thing. And you have in verse number six that he heard their cry. The complaint here, just to give you the, the context and the detail, is a complaint of injustice. Probably due to occupation, the building work, uh, the farming had been somewhat neglected. But also told in verse number three that there was a dearth. Uh, there was a, a famine of sorts in the land. And that some people to pay for corn had in turn to mortgage their property. And indeed, we see in verse number five, there was the tendency to sell their children into slavery. And such again was, uh, was a possibility. You could, uh, you could give your child for the money you acquired for the corn. And the, if I might call them the pawnbrokers, were guilty of, of usury. That's the term that's used. Again, verse number seven, ye exact usury. Exacting an interest, an unjust interest against the word of God. Leviticus chapter 25 tells us, Take thou no usury of him or increase, but fear thy God that thy brother may live with thee. Or Jeremiah 23, Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury. And the sense here was that, again, the people of God had been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They had been set free, they had been delivered from that, and thus they were not to bring their brethren into bondage. They were a free people, and that was to be governed in their, in their lives. And thus the people here are justly aggrieved. They have been manipulated by the wealthy for, for their profit and for the bondage of others, and thus they have, a, they have a just complaint. And to that just complaint, Nehemiah lends an ear. Now he is wise. He doesn't jump to conclusions, I believe. I think he considers, he says, I heard their cry and these words. Presumption is a plague of bad leadership. Jumping to conclusions before hearing the matter properly leads to all manner of trouble in various spheres of leadership. It, it may be the parent-child relationship. It may be the elder-church relationship. But the tendency can be in a bad leader to jump to conclusion without having given a tent of ear to the trouble and the complaints. And thus it is a mark of good leadership to be careful to hear out the matter, to be wise and careful, to, to take the time to see, well, what is the complaint? Is it a just complaint? Is it reasonable? And then I hear he models good leadership with that attentive ear. But he also models good leadership by his actions themselves. He acts with justice, mercy, and wisdom. When you read his response, you, you read of his anger, don't you? Verse number six, and I was very angry. He was motivated by righteous anger. It is not wrong to be angry with sin. Again, that's true in the church. People say that the pastor, uh, again, should always be, be peacefully minded, uh, not a brawler, not contentious. Uh, and therefore, they would, they would use that to justify the pastors who should never have any trouble with sin in the church. It's not the case at all. There is an anger that is righteous. And in fact, it is wrong not to be angry with sin. 
That's sin itself. If we see sin and it does not provoke justice or does not provoke righteous anger in our souls, that's sin itself. Because Ephesians 4 tells us, Be ye angry and sin not. Thus, there's a direct command in Scripture that when we see sin in the sphere of authority we have under us, then we ought to have a spirit of anger towards that sin. Such anger is not inconsistent with love. He clearly acts in love as he seeks to to deal with this problem, but he's angry at the sin that he hears about. And so again, it may be in the home or the church. Again, parents have a a right to be angry when their children sin and deal with that in in an appropriate manner. You see, their sin is likened unto the sin of the ungodly. Verse number eight, again, he uses the example of the heathen. We, we've just delivered our brethren from the, from bondage and you're, uh, from the heathen, and you're going to sell them back again into bondage. And so he likens their sin to that which will bring the reproach of the heathen, verse number nine, uh, because their actions, their actions are a display of forgetfulness of God rather than walking in the fear of God. And they're forgetting the fear of God. You see, when we mistreat our brethren, we bring the frown of God. We, we're not walking in God's fear in that time. When we mistreat people in the, in the work of God, we, we are guilty. We're guilty of bringing down God's frown upon our lives. So Nehemiah is, is angry. He's thoughtful. Verse number seven, he consults with himself. He takes time. That's an interesting phrase. Then I consult it with myself. Again, parents, it's wise at times to consult with yourself, not to be rash. That's what it means here. He he wasn't rash. He he went aside and he he took time to think over the matter. And the same again is true in the church of Christ. There are things that may be brought as a complaint to the the church session. And the tendency might be to to jump to some conclusion or to, to say something directly when rather the wise approach is to stop and consult with themselves. Uh, There is much wisdom in such godly leadership. But then, having responded in an appropriate manner with anger, having dealt with it thoughtfully, he is then faithful in dealing with the situation. The easy thing is to ignore it. They say, well, if if I begin to to deal with this, people are going to fall out. There's sin here that needs rebuked, and that's exactly what he does. Verse number 7, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. You need to be careful rebuking people who've got money. If you rebuke people with money in the work of God, well, the money may dry up, and then what's going to happen to the work? And so, sadly, there's a tendency sometimes in churches that the, the, the rich have a different threshold for sin than the poor. If the poor sin, the sessions on them like a, a ton of bricks. Well, the rich sin. No, we need to be careful with the rich because they, they're paying for the electricity bills. They're paying for all these things that we, that we enjoy in the work. Such is not godly. And so Nehemiah, having responded properly, he then brings a rebuke that is not easy to bring. And he instructs them in righteousness. There's a public rebuke, and he tells them, this is what you must do. He is specific regarding their duty. Verse 11, restore, I pray you, to them even this land. You're guilty of breaking the law of God. You're guilty of flagrant sin. Therefore, you must repent of your sin and restore these things for the well-being of the church. And he is very thorough in making sure this takes place. 
He brings in the priests, he requires an oath, and he makes sure that everybody knows exactly what is being said. You know, I think when you see in verse number 13, where he shakes his lap and brings this imprecation upon those who would deny the duty that they have, as so though God shake out every man from his house. There's a lesson there. Sometimes the leadership, whether again it be in the church or the home or whatever sphere, sometimes leadership is not direct. And people really do not understand what is being required of them from the Word of God. Again, it's true for parents to children. Sometimes the, the children are not clear, exactly clear. And thus, here you see a wise leader. Did you hear what I said? And the congregation say, Amen. It's a response. I hear what you say. I understand what you say. I wonder, could he say to him, can you repeat what I said? And they could say, this is our duty. We understand or we stand. This is wise. Judicial, dealing with a matter, a sin in the work of God. And then his leadership, he leads by example. Again, you have this interesting section, verse 14 and, uh, and following. You go, Why, what's this all about? Well, well, verse 10 tells us that Nehemiah, as a noble man, if you like, he could have exacted money and corn, but he didn't. He's a leader who is leading by example. He's doing what's right. And thus, when it comes to dealing with a problem, no one can point the finger and say, well, Nehemiah, you're a hypocrite. Because he can say that during the time that he was governor, verse 14, he didn't even take that which was his right. He wasn't interested in filthy lucre. He didn't even eat the bread of the governor. That was his entitlement. Again, verse number 15 says, the former governors, they took their bread. I didn't. It was my right, but I didn't do it. He also says that rather than being, uh, again, rather than taking other people's money, he was generous. Verse 17, Moreover, there were at my table 150 of the Jews and rulers. Can you imagine being married to, to Nehemiah? Dear, I've got some guests for dinner. 150 of them. And you know, when you've got some work to do, there's all these sheep and files and all the rest. This is a generous spirit, a, a man of great hospitality. This is a man who displayed a generous spirit to the needs of others. Therefore, when it came to mistreatment of others in the house of God, he could say, well, actually, this mistreatment is wrong. And you look at my example. I didn't mistreat God's people at all. Rather, I treated them with a, a generous spirit. Again, we feel the rebuke. We, we are at the time, again, at this time, as a church, we are considering the, the election of elders. And here, just in God's providence, we, we see a chapter that is packed full with examples of wise, godly leadership. Men who will not be rash. Men who will be careful to hear the matter out. Men who lead by example. Men who cannot be charged with hypocrisy. Men who will deal with sin when he's dealt with. These are the sorts of men that we're praying for. That God make clear, yes, these men are indeed fit to serve as elders in this place. That we would have good eldership and good leadership and not bad leadership in the house of God here. And of course, what is true for the church is also true for the home. And we see that in the, in the words of 1 Timothy when the home and the church are paralleled in terms of wise and godly leadership. And so we pray as a church tonight again, let's pray for our homes that God again will give us grace.
but very quickly. And then I acting as governor models wise leadership. But then, by necessary implication, he then displays Christ-likeness. His actions here are the actions of a wise and a godly man. I'm not going to go so far as to say he's here a type of Christ, but surely his actions clearly reflect the Savior's actions Because that's what happens when a man or a woman is born again by the Spirit. They are progressively made like unto the image of Christ. And as the inward work continues, then the believer behaves in a Christ-like manner. And so when you think of the detail I've just given you, do you not see the Savior in Nehemiah chapter 5? Do you not see the Savior in the actions of Nehemiah? Is the Savior not one who hears the afflictions of the needy? Nehemiah hears their cries and their words, uh, and Christ, our great high priest, his ears are not closed to our needs. Here we see one who is careful to hear the needs of the afflicted. We are told to come to a throne of grace. Why? Because there is help in time of need, which surely implies that the Lord hears in times of need. We are told to let our request be made known unto God. We're told to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. And so the psalmist, Psalm 116, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Psalm 86, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee for thou wilt answer me. Uh, this is a beautiful picture of, of Christ and the actions of Nehemiah here. He, his ear was open to their cry. He didn't say, the nobles are my friends. I don't care what you're suffering right now. It's not my concern. Rather, Nehemiah carries the spirit of the psalmist, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Nehemiah shows Christ's likeness by hearing the afflictions of the needy. He also shows Christ's likeness because Christ guides his children by precept and by example. Christ gives us the precepts in the word. He rebukes our sin and he instructs us in the paths of righteousness. This is again Christ-like. He deals with those areas that need dealt with. Whilst all of our sins are washed away in Christ's blood, yet the great prophet of God is still using the law, pinpoints our sin, and tells us where we must deal with our sin. He's not slow to rebuke us. And of course, we who say we know him, we walk even as he also walked. He is the one who leads us by precept and by example. And praise God, Christ is pleased to avenge the afflictions of his needy disciples. You listen to the words of, of Luke chapter 18 and the verse number 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And so we see in Nehemiah's actions here a display of Christ's likeness. And that again caused their hearts to worship and to bring our burdens to our greater Nehemiah. Christ himself. And finally, Nehemiah 5 also shows and promotes the benefit of good church government. The government here is that which brings benefit to the work of God. 
Look at the end of the chapter, verse number 19. Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He prays for God's blessing upon his actions because he's aware that his actions are for the good of the people. Let me remind you again of the parallels here between Nehemiah 5 and Acts chapter 6. Acts 6, there's a dispute again, isn't there? There's a cry goes up regarding unjust treatment of widows, and it's going to hinder the work of God. But the apostles are wise. They realize that if this trouble festers, the work of God will be hindered. Do you remember what's going to happen if that trouble continued? They would be prevented from being ministers of the word and in prayer. And thus it was necessity that they brought good government into place so that the work of God would not be hindered. So the preaching would continue and the spirit of prayer would continue in the heart of the apostles. And thus they bring good government to bear. And do you know how that whole account ends? Well, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 6, and we'll look at this one verse, and then we'll, we'll close for tonight. Acts chapter 6. Because you have, you have, I believe, a divine seal upon what happens in Acts chapter 6. When they appoint the, the early diaconate, and then the apostles say in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And they set apart these, these deacons for the work and then verse number 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. God did remarkable things. And the position of that verse is not there by accident. It is there directly to confirm what has just happened in those early verses. A problem arises in the church. It is dealt with with wisdom and good government. And the outcome is that the work of God continues, increases, and it does so in remarkable fashion. Even a great company of priests steeped in Judaism were obedient to the faith of Christ. This is a remarkable text. And so pray on, brethren, pray on, sisters. And that God would help us to, to listen to the Old Testament Scriptures, to see in the attitude of Nehemiah uh, the example of godly leadership and to see the importance of such for the well-being of God's people and the progress and the glory of God's name in this world. Amen. May God be pleased to bless His Word to us again tonight. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.